This evening's reading is taken from uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors around and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Steve. Hello again. <laughs> uh, my name's Eleanor Jeans. I realised I didn't introduce myself earlier. Um, I'm the Associate Vicar here at St Paul's. Um, and uh, before we go any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for um, this opportunity to uh, look at these words from Scripture, which may be familiar to some of us. Um, but Lord, we thank you that we can always hear you as we look at your word, whether it's really known to us or whether it's brand new. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice as we look at these words together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know whether you've ever played any of those sort of games like Boulder Dash, where you um, have to make up things and everyone has to guess which one is the right one. I'm quite good at it, so maybe don't play it with me. Um, but um, I discovered um, some laws but it's, it's one of those things I think you find on that sort of game, isn't it? I've discovered some laws that just made me laugh, and I thought I'd just start with these, really. Um, let me tell you a few. Did you know that in Oklahoma, you can be arrested for making ugly faces at a dog? <laughs> Try it. See what happens. Um, in Salt Lake County, um, in Utah, it's illegal to walk down the street carrying a violin in a paper bag. I'd just like to say I would not carry my violin in a paper bag anywhere. Um, in England, apparently, it's illegal to die in the Houses of Parliament. I mean, what they're going to do with you if that happens, I don't know. Anyway, in Victoria, in Australia, after midday on Sunday, it's illegal to wear pink hot pants. <laughs> I think they should always be illegal, but that's another story. Apparently, it's, in, in France, it's illegal to name a pig Napoleon. Um, and in Florida, a, an unmarried woman <laughs> who parachutes on a Sunday could be arrested. And finally, in Pennsylvania, it is illegal to sleep on the top of a fridge outdoors. <laughs> what a really 
weird set of uh, laws those are. And you might be thinking, what on earth is going on? Uh, but I'm sure some of those probably aren't true. They are probably the sort of thing you find in Balderdash. But I had great fun finding them. And if that's all that this is about, then that's great. But sometimes, don't we, we find ourselves uh, looking at others and sort of thinking that they're taking things far too literally. Or that um, that person is doing something I frown upon. You know, that, that person is doing something I completely disagree with. They're not following the laws correctly. Um, I would never do that. They're not doing it right. That's the sort of sense that sometimes we get with those things, isn't it? And in some ways... A little tenuous, I know. That's what the Pharisees are doing at this point in in this reading. They're looking at Jesus. They're struggling with his actions. They've been doing that for a while. Let me just read you the first couple of verses. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So there's a sense there, isn't there, that they're sort of grumbling, that they, they don't agree with what he's doing. They're not happy with it. But of course, that's a, a theme we can see in a lot of Luke, isn't it? We can see this theme of the Pharisees sort of looking down their noses at what Jesus is doing, muttering about his actions, about him associating himself with sinners, with tax collectors, with the poor and so on. Luke is full of Jesus doing this, living out that fulfillment of him saying those words from Isaiah 61 in Luke 4. Um, Here they are, um, we've got them on the screen. This is what Jesus says in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Those are the words that Jesus says as he starts out his ministry. And we can see him here living out those words. I was uh, really fortunate uh, to get to the Holy Land actually in May. And I've never been to this place before, but I managed to visit the uh, synagogue where Jesus said those words. And it is, was the most profound experience. I forgot to take a picture of the actual synagogue, but I took a picture of the sign. There you go. That doesn't really tell you much. But it was amazing because there, it was the actual place where Jesus said those words. And as I was sitting there and I was uh, imagining hearing those words, it just reminded me of what's going on in this world and actually, when we see those words, and I you know, imagine reading those at the moment with what's going on in the Holy Land, really quite profound words at this time. But that is what Jesus is, is doing here. He's living out those words. In chapter 14, if you look back a chapter, um, we read of the invitation to these very people, um, those who are on the margins of society, those that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law would have seen as unworthy, as unclean. That he eats with them earlier. He tells us to invite them. Jesus is often, isn't he, seen as the one by many um, who ate with the poor, who um, touched the lepers, who associated himself with, with those who were treated as outcasts. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the fact that if you went to someone you know who isn't a Christian and you said to them, who is Jesus? They're most likely to say something like, well, he was a good man, wasn't he? Look what he did. He sort of ate with, with people. He, um, he touched lepers. He, he did all that sort of thing. He did some amazing things. 
But when we think about it, other people can do that, can't they? I'm reminded of Princess Diana. I mean, I remember the world being amazed when she went and, and visited people in, a, in a, a place supporting and caring for those with leprosy. Or when she visited those who had AIDS or those affected by landmines, and, and sort of, those are sort of the contemporary outcasts, I suppose, where they were at that time. Actually, I would think that if, if um, Diana was alive today, she would be the one who would possibly be visiting the refugee camps and those um, in uh, difficult situations around the world. So yes, Jesus was a good man, but of course, he was so much more than that. And there's so much more than Jesus being brave and touching those who were unclean in the world's eyes. So much more than him being a good man. So much more to it than that. We know that Jesus showed his love for all, that it didn't matter about status or anything like that, that he turned expectation of him on his head. But there's even more to it than that. And in chapter 15, we see glimpses of some of the ways that Jesus is more than that. In this passage in Luke 15, which is sort of like the, the central section, if you like, of the, the point when Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem. This is like the central part. So as I've already said, the Pharisees were, were really fed up with Jesus. They were muttering that he welcomed sinners, that he ate with them. And they thought that he was going against the law and against the norms of society. But in saying that, they hadn't really realized why Jesus was there. In fact, I love the fact that them saying this man welcomes sinners and eats with them actually sums up brilliantly why Jesus was there. It's quite good that really. You know, they just didn't see what that meant. So as we heard in our reading, Jesus' response to this uh, comment from the Pharisees is to tell not just one, not two, but three parables, two of which we've heard this evening. And the third, uh, Jonathan spoke about this morning, the parable of the prodigal sons, as we thought about this morning. And like when you're waiting for a bus and three come along at once... It might seem to begin with that, that Jesus is sort of telling the same thing three times. Stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son or two. But it's a bit like these are three different buses, all going eventually to the same place. But they each uh, take in different routes and scenery along the way. They each tell us something different. They help us to expand our view of God. And of course, also answer the complaints of the Pharisees. As I said at the start, as I was praying, some of you may well recognize this, um, these parables well. They may be ones that you've heard many, many times before. And there's always a danger with that, isn't there? That we sort of switch off and we think, oh, I've heard that. I don't need to listen to it again. But scripture is beautiful because every time we turn to God's word, God speaks and it's amazing how he can speak different things each time and just help us to see something different. So I encourage you, hold on and come with me. Now, of course, there are similarities in these uh, parables and particularly these two that we're looking at this evening. Each has a, a character or an object which gets lost. Uh, both end up being found. And in each case, there's a sort of restoration and a, and a celebration, a party at the end. 
But of course, we'll see different things as we look at them. So let's first of all then look at the lost sheep. Um, I don't know how much you know about sheep. Maybe nothing, maybe a little bit. Um, well, when I was ordained or before I was ordained, um, they took us on a, on a retreat. Terrifyingly for me, a silent retreat. And if you know me, you know that that probably wasn't the easiest thing for me to do. Um, and we went to a place called Lawned Abbey, which is in Leicestershire. Um, and it's a beautiful house in the middle of nowhere. It's really hard to get a phone signal, so it's quite a good place for a retreat. Um, and anyway, um, it's, it's surrounded by countryside and it's surrounded by quite a lot of sheep, which is lovely uh, during the day, not so good at night. Um, because quite often you could hear these sort of high-pitched lambs bleats uh, around, and then you'd hear the sort of mother's lower-pitched one as, as they were sort of reunited or sort of separated and then coming together. And during the day, that's absolutely fine. But the night before I was ordained, there was a, um, when, when sleep was hard to come by anyway, because I was a bit anxious and nervous, I found myself being kept awake by a baby sheep, or lamb, that would be a better word for it, wouldn't it? Constantly bleating with no sound of his mother bleating back. Part of me wanted to go out and sort of find the mother and say, come on, sort yourselves out. But I don't think that would have really helped. <laughs> and besides, I didn't want to go outside. It was dark. Um, I think they did eventually find each other. Um, but not before that they'd managed to sort of keep me awake all night. You know, my no-counting sheep is a good way of helping you sleep. Turns out the listening to them really isn't so good. Like I heard that night, sheep do get lost. They wander off. They don't look where they're going. They don't then look around them and, and, and get a sense of where they are. They look down. They focus on the food in front of them. Ooh, grass. You know, that's the sort of thing they do. They focus on what's immediately ahead or below them. And then they become stranded. They become stranded away from the flock, and they can't seem to do anything about it. It's like they get rooted to the spot. They're lost. They've gone astray. They're bleating. And I wonder how often we're of it like that. How often is it that we sort of find ourselves looking down, not looking up, being rooted to the spot, not sure what to do? The fact is, the Bible tells us that we're like that, doesn't it? In Isaiah 53, verse 6, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned um, our own way. As I was preparing this uh, this week, um, Andy emailed me with a reminder of a story which hit the news over the summer. And it was about a man who rescued a stranded sheep. Here's a picture of him carrying the sheep on his lambs. On his lambs? On his shoulders, even. It's a weird thing to say. His name is Chris Oxlade-Arnott. And he saw the sheep in trouble um, at the bottom of a, a wet cliff um, on the coast of Dorset. And he managed to rescue her and carry her back up the cliff. And, and these were the words he said. Japan's got it, China, Brazil, Germany, you've got it as their main broadsheets, Australia, it's been absolutely crazy. So this news story went all around the world. That's another picture of him, look, uh, clambering back up, climbing um, with this sheep on his shoulders. And he became really famous all because he rescued a sheep. 
that sheep was lost and actually may never have been found by her owner because of where she was. But thankfully, someone saw her and rescued her. This parable reminds us of the value of the sheep to the owner and the extent to which the owner goes to find her. And he looks until he finds the sheep. In this parable, we read that the owner of the sheep doesn't just sacrifice the life of his one sheep and forget about it, but he sees the importance and he goes to find that sheep. He leaves the 99 other sheep behind and looks out for that one lost sheep. And I wonder when we think about that today, whether there's a reminder to us that God notices us. That man who rescued the sheep noticed, in his words, a white lump in a photo his wife had taken. That's literally how they found this sheep. I think that's incredible. It wasn't just in his looking out. You know, so you, you could say it was a bit of chance that they noticed that that sheep was rescued and, and they rescued it. But of course, God is always looking out. That shepherd in the passage that, in the story that Jesus tells, was always looking. Maybe you don't feel like you're noticed, but you are by God, the shepherd, and not just by chance on a photo. He sees you. Even with the 99 others around, he sees you. He sees you you. But there's another thing about uh, leaving the 99. It shows that the one is really important, that Jesus came for the one. And maybe that's a reminder for us about who we might be called to. Yesterday morning, we were praying, um, as I said earlier, about what we might do at St. Paul's School. Um, and, And I was reminded as we were praying of these words, It's always worth doing something, even for one person. How might God be asking you to help Jesus find that one person? Wouldn't it be amazing if people stopped and asked us, as the Pharisees did of Jesus in some ways, why we're doing what we're doing? And we can answer, well, we're doing what Jesus said. We're looking for that one Even though the sheep is petrified by fear at being lost and so is unable to move, the owner picks the sheep up and carries it home where he rejoices with his friends and neighbours. And actually, if you look at the passage, he rejoices before that. He rejoices when he finds the sheep. It's, It's lots of rejoicing. There's lots of celebration going on here. So we might be like the sheep, but God is like the owner. He came himself to find the lost. He came himself, Jesus, to search out the lost and carry them home. So maybe this evening you're a bit like that sheep who's wandered off, who's gone off in a different direction, away from the life you know you should be living. Maybe you're afraid and unsure what to do like the sheep. Maybe you've been looking down and and you've forgotten to look up to God. Well, God hasn't forgotten about you. He came himself, Jesus, to find you.
And I love the fact that when he finds this sheep, there is rejoicing in heaven. So when you turn to Jesus, there is rejoicing. This is personal. How amazing is that? That for you, there is rejoicing in heaven. Not for someone else, but it is for someone else as well. But for you. I love that. Of course, there's celebration in all three of the parables in Luke 15. Let's move on then to the second parable, the one about the coin. So rather than than something wandering off, obviously a coin can't really do that. Um, It's an inanimate object. Um, There's something here about the fact that this object is small. I don't know whether you've ever done this, but I know I've done this when I've been hoovering the house. And um, I've just been hoovering. Oh, there's a 5p there. Oh, I'm just going to hoover it up. Has anyone done that? Is that really bad? Yeah, I've done it many times. I've probably got a pound in my my vacuum cleaner, if I'm honest. But um, maybe lots of us have done that because they're so tiny, especially, this is going to make me sound old, the new 5p's who've been around for like 30 years or something. But they're tiny. They're really hard to pick up. And I'm like, oh can't be bothered. It's not worth very much. That's the sort of sense I think about when I think about a lost coin like this. But this is not that sort of coin. This really is not that sort of coin. To the woman here, each of those 10 coins probably represents a day's wages. These coins are highly valuable. They may even have been her savings. Now, of course, unlike the, uh, the sheep, the coin can't actually do anything itself. And, and of course, as, as, uh, as we as humans aren't inanimate like the coin. However, can't we be spiritually lifeless and feel worthless like that coin? And that's where the woman comes in here. Jesus tells us that the woman lights a lamp. Interestingly, it may well have been that houses at that time didn't have windows, so she really needed to light a lamp so she could actually see what was going on. She sweeps the whole house until she finds the coin. Really puts my vacuuming to shame, I have to say. And I believe that lamp is important. She needs uh, the light to enable her to see. And I don't think this is taking the parable too far to say that the woman with the lamp could be like seeing how God works in us and through us by his Holy Spirit, lighting and guiding the way. And of course, we can think of Psalm 119. Um, Here's a verse from Psalm, Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The Holy Spirit throughout the Bible is seen as working in us and drawing us to Jesus, pointing the way to him. And without the Holy Spirit, we are spiritually lifeless, a bit like that coin. God, by his Spirit, works in us and through others, through the church, through the word, to find us. And I wonder today whether that's you. Are you a bit like that coin? Do you feel spiritually lifeless Do you need to allow God's spirit to guide you to him? Or maybe you feel a bit worthless like that coin. Or remember the effort the woman goes to. She sees the coin as highly valuable as you are to God. And once again, there is a party when the coin is found. There's a party when you are found. So think back to the Pharisees right at the beginning They'd been following the law religiously. 
And in previous chapters, we um, have seen how they thought it was all about what they did. Yet they grumbled. They were angry that Jesus was eating with sinners, with the outcasts. There's a great parallel here. Jesus is answering the Pharisees and he's showing them that it's not about what they do, but about what he has done for us. We've just looked at the first two of these parables in Luke and at no point does the sheep or coin have to do anything. There is one thing, of course, and that is to to repent, to acknowledge where we've gone wrong. That's it. When we're found, the only thing God asks of us is to repent and to do our best to be more like him, recognizing that we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit being at work in us. These parables are Jesus' answer to the Pharisees. They remind us that in Jesus, we see God not just interacting with the poor, the ones on the margin or anything like that, but we see that God goes out of his way for them. He goes out of his way for us, whoever we are. A sheep in a flock or a small coin or someone who is young or old, male or female, rich or poor and so on. So it wasn't just that Jesus was eating with those the Pharisees didn't approve of. It was seeking them, saving them and welcoming them home. What a beautiful picture of God's love. What a beautiful picture of his grace and his mercy. And I believe that whoever we are, we need to be reminded again and again of this incredible gift of grace from God. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to go through life to find ourselves focusing on what we should do on what we haven't done, on feeling like we're worthless, of being rooted to the spot and looking down and not up. But God in his grace searches for us. He goes out of his way for us. And just a reminder again, there will be a party in heaven for each one of us. And there's a party in heaven waiting us, awaiting us in eternity. All three of these parables finish with a party. Just think about that. The party for each one of us when we turn to Jesus. And I've been reflecting on that this week. And I've just been slightly mind blown by that. By that reminder of the party, the celebration. That each one of us is so valuable to God that he seeks after us. That each one of us is so valuable to God that when we say, yes, I love you and I follow you, that there's a party in heaven with the angels. I mean, there must be a lot of parties in heaven. I'm quite looking forward to it. For more than that, obviously. But how cool is that? If it were just you, though, there would still be a party If it was just you, Jesus would still seek you. Right at the start of this uh, passage, we read these words. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And actually what I want to say to that is thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for that. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That is who Jesus is. Let's pray. I don't know whether you uh, this evening feel more like a sheep or a coin, 
whether you recognize that you have been sort of looking down and not looking up, whether you feel lost, whether you feel a bit spiritually lifeless, or whether you just simply need to be reminded that God sees you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in Jesus we have a Savior who loves each one of us. Who later in uh, Luke says he came to seek and save the lost. That whatever we are facing, he knows that he cares that he is there for us. And thank you, Jesus, that it's not about what we do or what we have to do, but it's all about what you have done for us. And I pray, Lord, as we uh, go into this new week, that we would just be reminded of that each day, be reminded of your grace That maybe when we're tempted to look down and be rooted to the spot or we uh, feel a bit lost, that we're reminded that you know us and you see us. Thank you, Lord, that none of us are worthless to you. That we are all worth finding. I just want to say as well, if there's anyone here this evening who um, hasn't said to God, I'm here, who maybe this evening is being prompted to say, um, I want to put my trust in Jesus, and I really encourage you to do that tonight. There'll be opportunities after the service to pray, um, but we'd also be really happy to chat with you afterwards and help you as you make that decision. So Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us and care for us. Help us to hold on to the beauty of your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.